I've thought a lot about all that God's doing in our, in our church and in our community and with our people, and, and there's so many exciting things going on, and I'm going to begin today what's going to be a three-week series entitled, What's In It For Me? So look to your neighbor and say, what's in it for me? You know, it's an interesting question, and one I feel a little uncomfortable even leading us to ask, right? Because we certainly don't believe that all of this is ultimately about us. This doesn't make us an object of attention or of worship. But, but really, I mean, as human beings, this is a very real question. What's in it for me? Some of you are not believers in the gospel that's found in the Bible, the good news that God uh, created all things, that sin separates and destroys, and that through Jesus, God is restoring all things to himself, most especially people. And, uh, and so you say, well, I don't believe. But if I do, what's in it for me? Many of you do believe. You have received the gospel in faith. And maybe this is a question on your mind. What's in it for me? So we have three weeks of this. And, and today, uh, the, the, the answer to the question, what's in it for me, is freedom. Everybody raise your right hand, make a fist, and say freedom. freedom. Feels good, doesn't it? Very Braveheart-esque, you know. Uh, next week, it's going to be a we. That's what's in it for me is a we, and then the week after is going to be a C. And so we'll talk about those in the next couple of weeks. But I want for you to begin getting your mind around this idea of freedom. Certainly when we talk about freedom, we can think about the concept of slavery. So taking you back to 1863, Abraham Lincoln declared his intent to eradicate slavery by signing a document called, does anybody know? The Emancipation Proclamation. And soon after, this idea that he had to eradicate slavery began to be realized. So in our area, a thousand or so freed slaves departed an area called the Brazos River Cotton Plantations, about 1866, and they settled in on the Buffalo Bayou's southern edge where we are right now. They constructed small shanties as houses. They began to set up businesses. Not many people wanted to live in this area because it flooded so easily from the bayou. This area is known historically as Freedman's Town. It's an interesting history as we think about where we gather in this place because even if you walk out here onto the lawn, there's a brick road going into the campus with bricks like this. These bricks, these solid bricks, were said to have been made by those freed slaves to build a road that the city would not build for them. Thinking more largely about the days of the Civil War, do you know that in the last days of the Civil War, the Confederate capital, when the Confederate capital in Richmond, Virginia, fell to the Union Army, Abraham Lincoln insisted on visiting the city. It certainly was a place of victory. No one knew that he was coming, but immediately when he got there, the slaves recognized him and they began to press in on him. He had liberated them as this document he signed, the Emancipation Proclamation, became a reality. Lincoln's army had set them free. And according to his admiral, David Porter, who was standing there as an eyewitness to this event, Lincoln spoke to this group of slaves, freed slaves, pressing around on him. And he said two things. He said, my friends, 
You are free. Free as air. You can cast off the name of slave and trample upon it. Liberty is your birthright. But Lincoln also warned them not to abuse their freedom. He said, let the world around you see that you merit your freedom. Don't let your joy carry you into excess. Learn the laws and obey them. Well, certainly Abraham Lincoln wasn't the only one to talk about freedom. You see, in the Bible, theologically, the central concept of the scripture is about freedom. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul's writing a letter to the Galatians. Now, it's interesting as we think about the Apostle Paul because he wrote a large part of the New Testament. And in every one of his letters, the way he writes them was traditionally the way that letters were written. He, he offers a greeting and then he offers a prayer in the way that he does it. But in the letter to the Galatians, he's agitated. He's irritated and frustrated at them because their behavior uh, really set him off. You see, the Galatian Christians had received their freedom that comes in Christ, but yet they begin slipping off into a life that, that basically uh, eradicated the freedom that Christ gives them. So if you have your Bible, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, just one simple verse, it says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Would you do this? Would you stand to your feet while I read this passage? It's so good. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. May God bless the reading of his word, and you can be seated. Do you know that Jesus Christ sets people free? It's a central theological concept, and it sums up the Christian situation before God. This this language has set us free. Um, Forgive me for boring you with the verb tense, but it's an aorist tense verb, which means it's a past completed action means that something has happened fully and completely in the past. Something has been done. It's not, it's not incomplete. It's completely complete. Christ has set us free. He's talking here to those that are in Christ. Well, you might have the question, as I have the question. Okay, that sounds good. Sounds neat. Thanks for the, thanks for the passage. But what, what did he set us free from? Christ has set us free from slavery to false gods. Christ has set us free from slavery to false gods. And you know how we got there and how anybody lives in that place? Ignorance. Now, I want to describe this idea of ignorance because sometimes if somebody were to call you ignorant, that might sound like they're calling you stupid. Ignorance is not stupid Ignorance is a lack of knowledge. You do not have the knowledge that you need. I think of the very first time I walked onto the campus of Houston Baptist University where I finished up my undergraduate degree. When I walked onto that campus because of my quick uh, move to Houston and my uh, sort of the events surrounding me starting there were so sudden, I knew nothing about the school. I was completely ignorant. 
I had signed up for some classes with the help of somebody over the phone. So when I walked onto that campus for the first time, I was ignorant. I didn't know where the buildings were. I didn't know where my class was. I didn't even know really where to get my books. I didn't know where the library was. And I never found that out, if you know what I'm saying. And, and I, I was ignorant. I had no knowledge. But, but someone had to inform me or educate me as to how to find my way and how to get to my class and how to pay for school and, and, and how to, to find the bookstore. And, and I was ignorant. Well, this idea of ignorance is so common. People are ignorant. People that are ignorant of what the scriptures say about who Jesus is are slaves to false gods. Paul, in chapter four, verse eight, if you would turn there, just one page back, says this, talking about the way that the Galatian Christians were prior to Christ. They were ignorant. Here's what he said. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were ignorant. You were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn again back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You see, what the Galatian Christians were doing is they were listening to some people called Judaizers, which basically said that in addition to Jesus, you need to fulfill the laws of Judaism. And it was disrupting their Christianity. It was disrupting the freedom that they had. They began to be enslaved to these rules and regulations for their righteousness. Well, Paul is chiding them for that. He's saying that in the former life, You were ignorant. You did not know, but now you do know. The Galatian Christians prior to Christ were in bondage to false gods. They, many of them, uh, as non-Jews, looked to Greek gods like Zeus and Hermes. But a great change took place, as has happened in many of your lives, where they, they became to know God. They heard about the gospel, the good news of the Bible, and then they became known by God. So they received salvation. Think about this idea of, of, of God for a second. Now, this is going to be very elementary and, and not my best effort on talking about the concept of God. But just to get it out there for you, a God is any person or ideology we put our hope in for meaning and purpose. And do you know that everyone worships something? Most people worship false gods because they're ignorant of who the one true God is. Not stupid, they just don't know. But do you know that not all things deserve worship? We are created to worship. There's something within each one of us that longs to give ourselves, submit ourselves to a higher power. So people all over the world construct these forms of God, they begin to put their hope in them. They begin to put their trust in them and begin to find meaning and purpose in them. You know, um, even here, although it's more common in our area of the world to make things like money or success a God, or, or, or the gods we construct are very humanistic. There, there's some form of Christianity, I call it mantras Christianity, where it's like, I'll take the parts about Jesus that I like, and I'll leave out the parts that I don't like. I'll take the parts about Buddhism that I like, and I'll leave out the parts I don't like. I'll take the parts about just what I can dream up or think about that I like, and I'll put this whole thing together, and that's my way of seeing the world. That's the God that I worship. That's a false God. 
you know, certainly there are other places in the world where people make gods out of man-made things, like wooden figures. Maybe you've heard or seen those kinds of things, or animals even. A false god, just to help you identify potentially any false gods in your life, a false god over-promises and under-delivers. A false god over-promises and under-delivers. A false god leaves us wanting. And a false god leads us to glorify ourselves. If your God leads you to make much of you, that is not the God of the Bible. You see, the God of the Bible is all about making much of himself. And people that worship the God of the Bible find great joy in making much of him. We find our purpose and our meaning in exalting God, who we have seen in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You know, when people are ignorant of the one true God, and they worship these false gods, you know what it's like there? It's, it's um, you're powerless. There's no power. Without Jesus in your life, which enables you to worship the one true God, you're powerless to overcome your bondage as a slave. You're a slave to the law, to a list of right and wrong. And if you do them all right, then maybe the superpower, the supernatural being will let you into heaven. You're in bondage and powerless to evil that exists in the world. And... Um, doesn't take much to think about the fact that there is evil in our world. You're, you're, you're powerless to, to resist sin. I see this all the time. Why can't I not overcome addiction? Without Christ, you're powerless. You're powerless to overcome your own flesh. You're, you're powerless to overcome the devil. You know, the Bible talks about there's a, there's a, a battle in the spiritual realm where all around us, there is the tempter who's tempting us and has a legion of demons tempting us to disobey and dishonor God and wants to destroy us. The Bible says that the enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion waiting to devour people. But do you know that God sent his son into the world to shatter the dominion of the slaveholders? To enable people to know that there's freedom, and that freedom is found in Christ. In fact, after Jesus was crucified, was raised from the dead, and ascended into heaven, God sent his spirit. And what his spirit does is it, 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 it becomes a part of us. It, it, it dwells in our hearts, and it awakens us to live the kind of life that free people get to live. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is the power that is in you. Romans chapter 6, verse 7. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. We don't have to be slaves anymore. We get to be free in Christ. What's in it for me? Freedom. Real freedom. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Little children, you are from God and uh, have overcome the evil powers. For he who is in you, the Spirit of God, is greater than he who is in the world. In Christ... There is real freedom. Enjoy that. Sit in that. Dwell in it. Maybe you've heard the name 
Harriet Tubman. Raise your hand if you've heard the name Harriet Tubman. You're familiar with her. She's a very important person in our history. She was a runaway slave who was able to get to the north with the help of sympathetic people, both black and white. And she was so thankful for the help that she had received that she decided to risk her own life and began to uh, became a conductor in what was called the Underground Railroad. She could neither read nor write. She was quite a small person, but she was bold in her efforts to assist escaped slaves in getting safely beyond the Mason-Dixon line. In her years, it's said that she made 19 trips and freed over 300 slaves. You know, as Christians, we're in a similar situation. We have been freed. We have one that's saying this way to freedom. And that one is Jesus Christ. This is the good news of the Bible. We don't have to be slaves to sin. We don't have to be slaves to uh, false gods. We don't have to give our lives or find meaning and purpose in something other than the God of the Bible where there's real meaning and real purpose. We've escaped the slavery because of our ignorance through the person, Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? Can I get an amen? amen. Thank you. I know. Sunday morning. Some of you all had kolaches for breakfast. I know how that works. It slows you down. So we are free. We are free. So so what do we do? What do we do with this new found freedom? Well, Paul tells us in that passage in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, he says, stand firm. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Stand firm. Don't don't behave like a slave. Stand firm. You don't have to live enslaved to false gods anymore. You can find your meaning and purpose in Jesus Christ. Plant your feet firmly within the freedom that Christ has won for us and do not allow yourselves to be caught again in the shackles of slavery. Because God of who God is and what he's done. We get to be who we are, and that is free. You know, I don't know about you, but I forget this. Sometimes I wake up in the morning, and I think about the day before me, and I think about the life and the purpose that God has given me. I don't feel free. I might even live some days like like a slave. I'm enslaved to, to the old way. I'm enslaved to old temptations that that creep back in and begin to shackle me and drag me down. But do you know that that's living like what I was, not who I am? Some of you are here and you feel like a slave to something. You maybe are addicted to something and you feel like a slave to it. And what I'm saying to you is that if you are in Christ, you are not a slave. Don't behave like one. You have freedom. Man, that is powerful. Paul tells us to stand firm. You know, it's interesting, this passage in 5.1, the first part when he says, uh, you know, for freedom Christ has set us free, that's a commentary on what God has done for us in Christ. But here in the second part, there's a command of action. Stand firm. This is what we are supposed to do. Stand firm. It's so interesting to me because what it does is it gives us a sense of confidence that the work of Jesus is complete and strong, and it is a foundation we can stand on. 
It's not just in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. In fact, we find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13, where Paul's talking to the Christian men leaders in the church in Corinth. He says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. He also says it to the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 27. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Philippians, later in the letter to the Philippians, Paul says again, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm. What do we get to do as people who are free in Christ? We get to stand firm. I love the music that was selected this morning because it just tells us that Christ is a solid rock that we can stand on. Do you know that? You feel weakened by temptation. You feel weakened by an over-committed life. You feel weakened by struggle, by relational difficulty. You feel weakened and small, but you don't have to because in Christ, you, my friends, get to stand firm. You are strong, not because of you, because of what God has done for you. Now, for a person that's been freed by Christ, and they're wanting to stand firm, a real question is, well, how can they really become shackled again. Well, there's, there's really two leanings here. A person, even after being freed by Christ, can lead toward legalism. Do you know what legalism is? Legalism is basically believing that your righteousness is earned by your behavior. This is really common in the church because one way that people can motivate people is by is, 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 can become very legalistic. I, I want you to know that in here, in the way that you gain salvation is it's given to you unmerited. It's by God's love to you that through your faith in Christ, you're counted as righteous. You don't have to do anything to earn it. Nothing. You are free because of what Jesus has done, not because of what you can do. So do you know that if tomorrow you wake up and you don't read your Bible, if you don't pray... If you don't come to church ever again, it doesn't, it doesn't count towards your standing before God. It doesn't. Because you're not earning your salvation. You don't earn your freedom. Christ earned it for you. In fact, the story of the Old Testament is a story of a group of people who had a whole list of things that they could do to earn freedom. But they couldn't do it, which is why Jesus came. And when Jesus came, he did something for us that we can't do for ourselves, and that is earn our freedom by dying on the cross and being raised from the dead. So don't even think for a moment that after you gain the freedom that's in Christ that you need to do a list of things to keep that freedom. No, you don't. There is freedom. I hope that that washes over you like uh, something that washes over you. I don't know, something. <laughs> fill, fill that in, whatever, a wave. Legalism is a way we can lean where we, we quit enjoying the freedom that's in Christ. But there's another way that we can lean. It's called uh, being a libertine. You know what a libertine is? Somebody that is, uh, 
feeling so free that they're devoid of moral restraint. (laughs) So being in Christ doesn't mean you can just do whatever you want. Certainly there's a way to live that's an appropriate response to what God has done to you. That's why the Bible gives us the commands on how to live because real freedom is found when we know where we're to walk and how we're to live and what the boundaries are, right? Being in Christ doesn't mean you can do whatever sexually you want. No, in fact, being in Christ means you get to do, the way, do it the way and experience it the way God wants. So you can lean very legalistic or you can lean very liberal or being a libertine. But real freedom is found by standing the finished work of Jesus Christ. The freedom is ours, dear friends. I hope that encourages you this morning. I want to close with this illustration. You know, this weekend, of course, is the time where we celebrate our country's declaration of independence on July 4th, 1776 by the Second Continental Congress. And on that day, with the Declaration of Independence, we claimed legal separation from the British crown. But did you know that the Brits didn't uh, let us go too easily? They didn't want to let us claim independence, and so what began was the American Revolution. The American Revolution began somewhere around 1775, just prior to the, our actually pending of the Declaration of Independence, but it didn't end with all the treaties until November of 1783 which makes the American Revolution a longer war than World War I, World War II, Civil War, Korean War, and the conflict in Vietnam. So during that period of nearly a decade, the Americans, who the British still called Brits, uh, we wrote songs about our nation. We stitched a flag representing our nation, a nation that did not even technically exist. But then there was a fight and blood was shed And, of course, as you know, we won. We became an independent nation of states, free. Now, this is interesting to me, and certainly it is important to point out, as my friend William Vanderblumen, who wrote this blog, which stimulated my thinking on this, there was a long time between when we declared independence and when we were able to secure our freedom. But as I was thinking about that and reading this article that William, my friend, wrote and thinking about our own history, it occurred to me that if we had declared independence and it had been given to us, but for whatever reason we decided, well, we don't want to live like freed people anymore. We want to go back to being under the British crown. That would be foolishness, right? This is sometimes what we do as believers in Jesus Christ. We hear that we have been declared free because of what Jesus has done on the cross. But for whatever reason, we go back to being enslaved to another crown. It's foolishness. Which is why Paul writes, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Are you free? Are you experiencing the freedom that's in Jesus Christ? You ask, what's in it for me? Let me tell you what's in it for you. Freedom. Real freedom. Freedom to love God 
and to love others. Freedom to, to believe when you put your head on that pillow at night, no matter what storm is swirling around you, that when God looks at you, he does not see your sin or your imperfection. What he sees is the, the blood of Jesus Christ who's erased your sin and imperfection and counted, made you righteous. So someday when you stand before Jesus, the judge, you'll be looked at not for what you've done or not done, but you'll be looked at to see whether or not you've received Christ and the freedom that he gives in this life. Now, before I pray, I do want to offer you these two encouragements. First of all, will you accept the freedom? Will you accept it? Maybe you've given yourself to some kind of false God. You've put your hope and your meaning in a false God. Will you accept the freedom that comes in Christ? It's readily available to you. And in a gathering like this, I have the privilege of inviting you to accept it. For those of you that choose to, or have chosen to, will you stand firm? For those of you that are in Christ and have at some point in the past accepted the freedom that comes in Christ, maybe you find yourself sticking your leg out to be shackled by an addiction or by a sin. Maybe you, stick you, maybe you find yourself sticking your leg out and really what's going to happen, if it's not already happened, is you're going to become slave to that old way of life. It happens to all of us. And maybe today what you need to do before God is say, God, break that chain once again and I want to stand firm in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Right where you are, will you accept the freedom that God offers? You say, I don't understand it all. I don't know how this is going to impact. It's, it's okay. You don't have to understand it all. But do you believe that you're a slave to something other than one who can give you freedom? Will you accept the freedom? If you want to, then let me just help you kind of sort out your words before God. Maybe you could say to God something like this. God, I realize that I'm a slave and my sin separates me from you. And I believe that Jesus gives freedom, so I accept it. In a simple prayer like that, there's a mysterious exchange that can happen in your heart where you go from being a slave to sin, to becoming a child of God and a slave to righteousness. For others of you in here that have already accepted the freedom that's in Christ, are you standing firm? Where are you tempted to, to shackle yourself to? All of us have those. Confess that to God and let's, let's let, let us help you find freedom that comes from being in Christ.